Well, that, thanks for that, Joe, and good morning, everybody. Um, I have to admit, this is my first time back in our church building since the COVID uh, shutdown went into effect, and it's a little bit of a mixed feeling to be here today. Uh, the familiar place where we've worshiped together on so many occasions, uh, but also seeing all these empty pews is just a little bit unsettling um, and a good reminder that I miss all of you. So uh, wherever you are this morning, good morning. It is good uh, to be talking to you and to have an opportunity to share. And I'd like to hopefully share with you a little bit of what's been on my heart in the past few weeks. And so as all of you know, Pastor Joe is a planner, and so I knew well in advance that I would be giving the message this morning here at New Hope. And it's been on my mind for a couple of months thinking about what I would want to share with all of you. And so back, I think, in January, I listened to a podcast called This American Life. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is a podcast. It's basically a, a radio recording that's done via um, you know, downloadable content now. And this is a podcast that focuses on stories of individual people's lives and experiences. Sometimes they cover very deep, heavy topics uh, like economics. Other times it's, it's light and fluffy stories like the circus seen from different people's perspectives and through different, um, through different eyes. And so they did a story in January for which Ira Glass had a co-host, a guest co-host, Bim Adewuni. And she was a young woman from the UK who came here to the United States for the very first time to go to summer camp when she was about 19 or so. And this just absolutely blew her mind, made her day, made her entire summer for that matter, as she got to experience for the first time all the things she'd read about um, as stereotypically and classically American experiences one has during summer camp. And she just found this a completely delightful experience. And she began to wonder, you know, are there other things in life that are like this that would fill me with that same sense of delight? And on that podcast, she introduced a poet. His name is Rick Gay. And he actually took the search for delight to a whole new level. He spent an entire year, every day, writing down an essay, short or long, about something that delighted him that day. Many of these were small things, seeing the bees pollinating flowers, working in his garden, seeing things grow. Um, there was one story he told about a day he took a tomato seedling through the airport onto a flight with him as he returned home from visiting a friend who had gifted him with it. And just the comments and the you know, extra sort of attention and, and mishaps that happened because of that tomato seedling. Sometimes his recollections of delight and his reflections touch on, on deeper things as well. But it's interesting to see him look at this through an entire year and try to understand what is delight and what does it really mean. And so this is a pretty delightful episode of This American Life to listen to, as you can imagine. But it got me thinking. There was a verse that popped into my head, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, which I'd heard as a kid. Uh, but delight isn't something I really spend a lot of time thinking about these days. And so I wondered, should I be thinking about delight more? Is delight something we really should be uh, pursuing or seeking out as Christians in our lives? And, and what would that look like? Um, and so today we're going to talk about delight and we're going to speak about um, what God's purpose is for delight and, and why we should be seeking it as Christians. And so just to sort of cut to the chase, what I've realized in, in trying to think through this and understand and study the word over the past few weeks is that delight is actually the antidote to the fear that so naturally plagues us in our lives. As we seek delight um, and delight in God's heart, his delight becomes our delight. 
and our, our wills and our wishes become aligned with his and takes our eyes off of the fear that we are just so naturally inclined towards. And so I'm hoping to tell you a little bit about that today and share a little bit about what I've been learning. Um, and I think the first thing that would be helpful to do in, uh, in understanding this is to understand the definition of delight. And so delight is to take great pleasure in something or to give someone great pleasure in something, right? And I think when we think about delight, we often think about this momentary, maybe transient, great happiness. Um, I think the picture that most commonly comes to mind if I say, you know, that is just such a delight or what a delight might be something related to children, right? We think of children as being very easily delighted and a delight to many people. Um, we also think of, you know, baby animals, all these YouTube videos that are out there now as being delightful and, and giving delight. And so children are easily delighted. Um, my boys uh, were just over the moon. They, they, they discovered a whole pile of worms under one of our mulch bags. They uh, received so much delight just from a couple of worms. Um, they also receive a lot of delight from Christmas morning, big things, right? Or an unexpected get a visit from a guest. So there are big things and little things in which kids delight. But as I looked at my own life and thought about my own experiences, I feel like I can think about a lot of things I have delighted in in the past, but I don't necessarily think about myself as pursuing delight in my life now. It's not something I intentionally seek out. I certainly find it on occasion, mostly by accident. And, and the things that give me delight, I would say, are generally nature, being out in the world God had created, and then my children. And I think um, mothers out there and parents in general will really be able to uh, relate to that. Our children bring us delight, and especially as we see their delight, that gives us delight, right? What parent doesn't love the look on their kid's face when they're just surprised and delighted by something mom or dad has done or given them? One other thing I've noticed about delight in my life, though, is that I only seem to find it if I'm focused and present, right? So I'm only going to be able to delight in and really appreciate Lydia taking her first steps or learning to feed herself with a spoon if I'm watching and I'm engaged. If I'm busy on my phone or worried about cleaning up the kitchen, I'm gonna miss those things. If I'm texting on, on my phone when I'm outside, I'm gonna miss that sunset. And so we have to be present in order to truly experience delight. One other thing about the definition of delight, so it's a little bit different from joy, right? So joy, I think of as something wholly different from delight. Joy is that settled contentment, that settled acceptance um, that comes from God's grace. Rick Warren describes it as a settled assurance that God is in control. And so the Greek word for joy is actually kara, C-H-A-R-A, -A, and that's very close to the Greek word for joy, which is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And so our joy comes out of God's grace. It's an outpouring of understanding and accepting that right relationship with God that he's restored us to. Not coincidentally, my name, Carissa, actually is a derivative of Charis. My dad was in seminary when my parents had me and uh, thought it was clever to re-spell re it a little bit and add the A for the female version. So there you go, my name means grace. Um, and so joy comes from our relationship with God. It comes from his grace, right? The outpouring of that. But delight really happens in all sorts of ways, right? It happens in these small and large physical things, but also in the spiritual sense. Joy is something God, sorry, delight is something God designed us to enjoy. And the way that we know that is we see in the Bible that God delights in things. We see specifically many instances in which God delights in his people, in their right living, their right sacrifices, in their prayers, and their worship to him. 
And so God has made us in his image to feel the emotions that he feels and to have those, those um, emotional needs as well. And so he's made us to feel delight. And the Bible says specifically that God draws us to delight in him. And so I'm going to take you to a passage in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 55, um, which talks about that. And so this is happening near the end of Isaiah. The Israelites have been in exile, right? They are out of the promised land where they've been living for generations and living in a foreign country under foreign rulers for about 70 years. They're reaching the end of that time. And God is calling them to go back to their own land. And so in Isaiah 55, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. He says, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money, without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good, and your soul will delight with the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And so here we see God beckoning, calling the Israelites to him, tempting them, as it were, to delight in him, to delight in this right relationship, in this covenant that he's restoring, that he had made to their ancestors so long before. And he's using imagery from the physical world, right? Come, you know, buy these things. You're thirsty, something to drink that will just satisfy you and quench your thirst in such a profound way that'll bring delight to your soul the same way that wine and milk and water would bring to you, that food would bring to you when you're starving and have no money. God wants to do that same thing for their hearts. And so I think that here God is calling the Israelites to delight in him. And it sort of brings me back to, to my main point, right, which is that God calls us to delight in him as well. Because as we delight in God, we align ourselves with God's heart and the things that delight him. And this pushes aside our focus on the things that so naturally um, cause us anxiety, that grab our attention. And so I want to spend the rest of our time today in Psalms, actually. So Psalms is a book of songs, primarily written by David. And as all of us know, songs have the ability to make us feel things and understand things that you can't very easily put into words. And so it's natural that many of the big and deep and heavy and bright emotions that we feel as humans would be reflected there in the Psalms. And so I'm going to spend most of our time talking about one Psalm in particular, Psalm 37. So I'd invite you to turn there. And we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about how and why is delight so important. All right, so I'm going to read this passage to us now, verses 1 through 9. It says, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon will wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And so I told you before that when I listened to that podcast on This American Life for the first time, one of the verses from this passage popped into my head. 
something I learned when I was younger, I'm sure. And you sort of take it out of context, um, I think is a you know, positive message that maybe we've all heard before. But it wasn't until I looked it up and found this passage that I realized, ah, this is what God wants me to share. This is something God's been trying to teach me and that I can share with new hope. And the reason is because when you put this verse in context, it doesn't just become this thing about delighting, God wanting us to have a good life and have all the things that we want in our hearts but it becomes a, a roadmap for how to live a, a God-filled life. And so starting in verse one, you see it says, do not fret. So fret is maybe not a word we use a lot. In some of the other versions of the Bible that you may, you may be reading, it can be translated anxious or worried, right? Do not be anxious, do not be worried. And that phrase, do not fret, actually turns up three times in this passage. Did you see that? So it's in verse one, do not fret, don't be worried because of evil men. Uh, verse 7, don't be worried when men succeed in their evil ways. And then verse 8, don't be anxious, it only leads to evil, right? And so here David is urging the people, right, urging us through this, not to be worried, don't worry. I mean, there is so much evil in the world, and I think it's so easy right now to fixate on that, right, to fixate on the decisions that leaders are making, the decisions that other people are making that are evil, um, and that they're... Um, carrying out on other people in the world. And it's so easy to allow that to take our focus off of God. But here David is saying, don't fret about that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about those people, right? Because like the grass, they soon will wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. So as big as the problems in our world seem right now, and this is not to say we shouldn't be taking action, because we should as God's people. But as big as those problems are, they should not be our main focus. God should. He's the one who's permanent here, right? Not the evil people who are making decisions, not the, the evil things that are happening in this world. Not even the pandemic is permanent, guys. This is all temporary, especially compared to God. And so the next verses after this, verses three through seven, kind of read like a, uh, an action plan, a to-do list for how to not fret, right? He doesn't just say, don't worry. Boom, no worrying happening now, right? No, he says, here are the things to do so that you don't worry. Do you see that there? Trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, and be still before the Lord, right? And so he encourages us to do these things as a way to keep from worrying, fretting, and being anxious. The first thing that he starts with is trusting in the Lord, right? So the idea of trust is the idea, again, very childlike. I think as, as parents and as moms, we can relate to this idea. A small child, right? Lydia, who's one? She trusts me. She's not worried I'm going to drop her when I'm carrying her. She's not worried that the things I give her to eat are going to be bad. She trusts me and she follows, you know, what I, what I, what I give her, what I tell her, for now at least. Um, and she rests securely in that, right? I can soothe her worries. I can soothe her fears because she is settled. In that same way, we're to trust God, right? Our hope and our confidence should be in Him. When our feet are firmly planted in God and God's will, that overflows to those around us, right? You see, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. So if we're truly trusting God, we can't just sit in a little bubble by ourselves. It is going to overflow around us. Do good, dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture, right? This is gonna overflow to the people around us in our communities and in our world. And so as we're trusting God, that overflows. This helps us not to focus on worry and anxiety and fretting. And then we come to verse four, right? This is the one I told you I had sort of popped into my head and that we're focusing on today. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
And so I think this is noteworthy because there are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about, you know, the joy of the Lord being our strength, trusting in the Lord. There aren't a whole lot of verses that tell us to delight in the Lord, but this is unique because it says delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. There aren't too many verses that tell us God's going to give us the desires of our heart either. And I think that's because delight, again, being an emotion is something that is fundamentally in tune with our emotional self, with our heart. And as we delight in the Lord, that speaks to our emotional heart in a way that some of the other spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices that we um, cultivate can't do. And I think the other part that's really important about this is that as we delight in the Lord, you know, he, again, is unchanging. So I told you about things that give me delight sometimes, right? A beautiful sunset, uh, the spring, my garden starting to grow, my kids. All of these things are transients. And as I think all of us are realizing right now, especially within the presence of COVID, many of the things that we delight in, that we take our security in, our jobs, our homes, our loved ones, um, the ability to, to go out and give somebody a hug, um, those just aren't there anymore right now. Um, and at a time like this, if our delight is in the Lord, it's secure, right? We have that um, no matter what, despite everything else that's going on around us. And then again, I think it's important to remember that if we're going to delight in something, we have to have, be focused on it. As, as I told you, I could only you know, enjoy that sunset if I'm looking at it and not on my phone scrolling Facebook or whatever. Um, we can only delight in the Lord if we're, our eyes are focused on him and seeking him out. Not to say God doesn't surprise us. So I think probably many of you can think of times when you've just been delighted by something and struck by something that was really something only from God. Um, and that cause you to turn to him and worship him. God is good and he does that to us. But if we're going to cultivate delight in our lives, we need to cultivate keeping our eyes fixed on him so that we see what he's doing. We see these unexpected surprises and can delight in them and can delight in him. And then the second part of this verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think when we take this verse out of context, it can be very easy to sort of have a prosperity gospel flavor to it, right? If we delight ourselves in God, then he's going to give us what we want, right? He's going to give me those things my heart desires. But I would argue that as we read it, maybe the emphasis goes a little differently. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? So as we delight in the Lord, I think he gives us our heart's desires, gives us the desires to have that are in line with his desires rather than just giving us what our own hearts want. And so again, as we learn to delight in the Lord, as our eyes are fixed on him, it aligns our heart with his heart, our desires with his desires, and takes our eyes off of what's going on around us, allows us not to be captive to the fears that are, to which we're so easily prone as people. And then there are two more points after this. Commit your way to the Lord, right? So trusting God, delighting in God, these aren't just something we decide to do on Sunday morning and then Monday through Friday live completely differently. This is talking about that steady walk, that reliance, having our feet firmly planted in God every day, not just the days when we feel like it, cultivating practices that help us to do that. And be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. So I'll be honest, this is the hardest part for me. Stilling those racing thoughts, quieting those busy hands, not doing something and just waiting to hear from God, which again, to trust him, to rely on him. I see my children able to do that, um, but are we able to do that? Are we able to rely on the Lord? 
And so I think as we learn to trust God, to delight in Him, commit to Him, and be still before Him, these things help us to focus on the Lord rather than on the things that are going on around us, the effects and actions of evil people, the evil that just happens even without people um, in the world around us, and that fear to which we are so inclined. So then I ask you, okay, that's great. Um, you know, that's great that David told us this. Thumbs up, we're good, right? But it's so hard. It's so hard to remember this on a daily basis, right? It's so hard when the news headlines are negative in so many ways, when we get bad news from friends and family members, when you see the vitriol on social media. It's so hard to remember that we should be delighting in the Lord and not focusing on the things around us. So, so how do we do that? You know, I think, again, we're so inclined naturally to be like the Israelites who followed the Lord and then got their attention pulled away to something else, and then God brought them back. They followed him again for a while, and then were pulled away. And so I think this is a practice that needs to be cultivated. I think it's important to recognize and admit that, that by nature, our hearts are not completely steadfast, that we do have this tendency to get distracted by other things. And here, actually, I think delight is important because I think in the church, we focus on many spiritual disciplines, right? Reading the Bible, praying, worshiping in a congregation, singing maybe. Um, fasting, all these spiritual disciplines, but by themselves these spiritual disciplines can draw us closer to God, but can also dry us out. If we are pursuing those things, those disciplines, without our heart, our emotions being engaged, they'll become empty rituals after a while. And I think that's where delight really is a bit of a secret key that maybe we haven't focused on enough as a church. Are we really seeking out the Lord in a way that engages our heart and engages our ability to delight in Him rather than to just pray and trust and commit and do sort of all those more rule-based, head-based um, ways of following the Lord? And so I think that um, there are some tools that can help us to cultivate delight for those of us for whom it doesn't come as naturally. I know some of you remember to delight in all sorts of things, and I think that's awesome. But for some of us, it doesn't come quite as naturally. And so I think we have some tools that we can use to cultivate that. So in the same way, if you want to grow tomatoes in your victory garden this year, you need dirt, shovel, seeds. If you live in my neighborhood, you need some deer fencing um, and significant deterrence. Um, but in the same way, we can cultivate delight using some tools. And so I think there are three primary tools to which are pointed in this passage and in some of the other passages that talk about delight that can really stir our affections for the Lord and turn our hearts towards him. And so these are God's works, God's word, and God's people. God's works, God's word, and God's people. And so God's works, I've already alluded to this, for me is seen most significantly in the natural world, right? Seeing a sunset or a sunrise, seeing buds begin to come out in spring, hearing the birds sing, feeling the warm sun on my skin. I think that God's works can also be evident through the people around us, right? So just observing the unique and crazy and unusual and beautiful people that God has made from a distance or from up close and seeing the amazing things that God has made us capable of can cause us to give glory to him and cause us to delight in the Lord. 
Um, I mentioned my kids already. I have three of them and I'm stuck with them 24 hours a day right now, so forgive me if they're the source of many, many, many of my examples today, but they are also a source of endless delight, right? The joy that they take in tickling each other. We've been having tickle fights every night recently and that just delights all of us so much. Delights me to delight them. Um, and to remember that that is something that God has given us, right? Really allows me to worship the creator and reflect on him. We can also take delight in the things that God has enabled us to do, the abilities and skills that he gives us and has given other people and the ways in which other people serve us and help us. So God's works, God's word, and um, God's people. God's word, uh, I think, is important when it comes to delight. So I, at the beginning of this, looked up all the times that delight is mentioned in the Bible and found, actually, that a good number of those times happen in Psalm 119. Um, and you may know that Psalm 119 is actually the longest psalm in the Bible. And as a kid, I always sort of dreaded getting to that part in our Bible study because it was just so it went on forever and ever and ever, and all of it is the psalmist talking about how amazing God's laws are. And as a kid, and even as an adult, I don't generally think laws are very awesome or amazing or fun or delightful. But I think um, at that point, remember, when David wrote the, these psalms, God's word, God's revealed word, really was just the laws, right? The beginning, first part of the Bible. They didn't have all the other stuff that we have right now. And so when I think about delighting in God's laws, I think for us maybe it probably means the whole word, right? The written, revealed word of God through which God has made promises, right? And given examples of um, his people and how he has been there and how he has carried them through time and time again. Adversity and evil and situations that people thought they would never get through. And so I think as we study God's word, we can delight in that. And so I think there are three ways to do that. So one is just by reading, studying, right? So if you get through a few verses at a time, studying deeply, if you're reading entire books at a time uh, before you go to bed, all of that gets you exposed to God's word, reading his promises, reading the things that he's done and delighting in him. Another way is through scripture memory, and I'd encourage you guys to practice that. So um, I was homeschooled as a kid, and uh, as the daughter of a pastor, you can imagine we had a pretty rigorous um, religion and Bible class as well that included a lot of scripture memory and there are a lot of verses that I remember now that will pop into my head randomly because of that. So I'm grateful my parents did that. One of them is from Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies declare the work of your hands. Day after day they pour, pour forth speech. Night after night um, they, their knowledge sings. And that is just to remind, reminds me to delight in God and his creation. And so I think memorizing verses that really speak to your heart can bring them back to mind um, and allow you to delight in the Lord. And then lastly, meditating on God, meditating on his promises, what he said and what he's done. And so the third thing, the third tool, tool that we have, we have God's um, works, his word, and his people. And this one I think feels uh, maybe the most um, poignant right now for, for many of us not being able to share in person with each other the way we're used to. Um, but God has given us each other, right, to spur one another on towards loving good deeds, to help us to deepen our own walks, to be there with us as a shoulder to cry on, someone to encourage us to, to take joy in us um, when things go well. And remembering to do that, finding ways to do that, creative ways to do that even now. If you aren't part of a small group at New Hope or at a different church, I would really, really encourage you to to try to get into that. If the times we have here at New Hope don't work, let Pastor Joe know. I'm sure you can find some people who would be happy to come at a different time. Because that fellowship, really getting together in a small group, again, to share your worries, your struggles, your joys and triumphs, um, is something that allows us to draw closer to God, to delight in the things that are delighting other people and thereby to delight in Him. 
So I'd encourage you guys to cultivate all of those skills and to cultivate delight in your lives. Um, I hope that I've convinced you today that delight isn't just a flippant emotion that maybe we try to foster in our children around Christmas or Easter, but that it's actually something God created all of us to have and to feel, and that it's an important part of our human experience. I think by forgetting to delight in the Lord and in how and who he's made us, we lose a part of our understanding of God. As we learn to delight in him, it helps us to focus our eyes on God, on his wants and desires for us, and makes our heart more like his heart. In doing so, we're less distracted by the fears that are so prevalent in the world around us into which our hearts are so easily drawn. And so with that, I'd like to just close us in prayer today. Lord God, I just thank you for allowing me to bring the word today. I thank you for allowing us to be joined together all over the area. Um, never thought I'd be giving a sermon by, by YouTube live stream before, but Lord, that you've just created unique opportunities I thank you, Lord, that you have given us so many emotions, that you have given us positive and negative ones, Lord, and that you do call us to delight in you. That being a follower of Jesus isn't just about following the rules, showing up at church, um, giving, praying, but also about finding true delight through you. I ask, Lord, that you would foster that in our hearts this week, that you would show us your delight and help us to find delight for other people as well as we go about our business, Lord that we would spend time in your creation, in your word, and with your saints in order to build one another up until we meet again. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.